0: Welcome to Tiny House Tales, a podcast about the experiences of people who have
1: joined the tiny house movement. I'm John Weisbarth. And I'm Zach Giffen. Enjoy as we give listeners a behind-the-scenes glimpse into the absolute joys and inherent challenges of living tiny. Together, we'll seek to unlock the successful strategies
0: for minimalist living and learn more about how tiny living has made a big impact on people's
1: lives. Entertaining and informative, Tiny House Tales is mandatory listening for anyone who has ever dreamed of downsizing or has simply craved a more simple lifestyle.
0: Welcome to Tiny House Tales. Nailed it.
1: Zach, you combed your hair, I noticed. Yeah, I actually exercised this morning and I showered. So I'm feeling like totally on my A game.
0: That's like a unicorn. A shower, exercise, and your hair looks good. It's amazing. I went the other way. I'm taking full advantage of what a podcast can be <laughs> by just being a scruffy scruffy guy. Uh,
1: your version of scruffy is definitely cleaner than my version of clean, but It's <laughs> a good point. You know, yesterday was actually a really dirty day for me because I was crawling around on the floor changing the oil out of like a 20-year-old CNC lathe. And so Yeah, I needed that shower. Is that a a three-axis or a four-axis? I thought it was a five-axis. It turns out it's like a six-axis with potential to be an eight-axis.
0: So Okay, so I actually don't care. That was just me (laughs) joking with you about your weird axis things. Um, Zach, here's what I want to talk about today. We got a good episode today, right? Because as you and I were kind of talking earlier... I think when people think about going tiny, they always think about like, what? What is their tiny house going to look like? And that's the really, really fun part. Yeah. But they don't always get into how. Like, how am I going to actually pull this off? And listen, Tiny House Nation, we don't talk about the how. All of the different, you know, YouTube channels out there, they don't talk about the how
1: because it's not as sexy, but it is important. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of how I feel about, you know, the way people accuse you of not actually working. I'm like, wait a second (laughs) wait who says what i mean all right don't don't pretend you haven't heard the whispers john that that, like the voices haven't gotten through whispers it's like people (laughs) yelling from the rooftops just let me get through with my explanation here sorry go ahead and it's like
0: go ahead. i have to
1: remind people that yes actually indeed you are doing a lot of work and and not only are you doing work but I get to do the fun parts, right? And they might be kind of like the heavy lifting, the more physical elements, but the work that you're doing is the unfun work. It's the work that nobody really wants to do. It's the downsizing. It's that kind of, I'm going to call it the chores of tiny house living. Whereas, you know, the part that I'm involved in, it's like, you know, it's, it's the exciting, creative, aspirational part. I mean, is this where I say
0: thank you? I don't, I don't, I feel like that yeah, you should be
1: saying thank you because I'm sticking up for you. you I'm, I'm saying, yes, actually, there is a lot of hard work to be done on that side of the equation. I'm just so glad that it doesn't have to be me that does it. That's what I'm trying to say. And it is a void of information there, right? There's not as much out there
0: about like- where do you get the land? How do you finance if you can? And then even how do you find a good builder? And today on the show, we have someone who through her own experiences kind of was led to like, yeah, want to advocate and consult and pass on the knowledge that she learned. And I think that today's episode is going to be a lot of meat and potatoes. And I don't mean that in a boring way, but I mean, really answering some questions and getting you thinking about if you are seriously considering going tiny, this is the way you have to think. And without further ado, I'd like to bring on Lindsay Wood, the tiny home lady, and she has earned that title because she's in the weeds doing the tough work and the fun work and uh, the billboard work. Lindsay, welcome to the uh, welcome to the show.
2: So great to be here with both of you. It's been hard to contain my laughter while watching all that's been happening in front of me.
1: <laughs> well, the, the thing that I want to actually introduce Lindsay in is that... Before all of the other stuff, before she got known as the Tiny Home Lady, she had uh, a really—I Im- mean, it, it kind of ups and downs. But her own journey is definitely worth diving into because it was—it's a—it's a story that you know has a lot of inspiration, but also some cautionary tales there. So. I'd like to ask you, Lindsay, before we get into kind of what it is that you do now, can you tell us more about how you got into Living Tiny and and what first inspired you to take that journey?
2: Yes. I love Tiny Helms. I've watched them on TV. Oh, on this amazing show called Tiny House Nation and just really fell in love with all that. And I also knew Jay Schaefer, dear friend of mine, like in 2003, showed me his cool designs. I'm like, that's great, Jay. Fast forward to here we are now, but there was a little bit of a you know journey. So there we, there we are, 2017. Husband and I lived in Marin County, really inexpensive place to live. Not <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. So you know the 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 reality was everything was like a million dollars, and that was for a fixer upper. And what that also meant is that whatever I chose to do, even if I could afford it, because I was making good money at that time. I, mean, I was making six figures, but you need to be making like closer to the seven figures to really afford something and do it well and have the down payment. So my husband and I, after a hundred thousand dollars in rent, in seven years, realize I just don't want to be tied to a really big mortgage, which is something that I remembered from your TED Talk, Zach, right? Buy the big house, have to work the job, and then the hamster wheel just keeps going.
1: Escaping the housing trap.
2: Absolutely.
1: Not to plug my own TED Talk, but yes, go on. But you just did. It was beautiful. It was
2: profound. It was a moment, right? Between the shows and the TED Talk and all those things, I'm like, yes, I'm with it. And I also grew up in the 70s, 80s, 90s, where go big or go home. Like owning a home is very much a big part of our American dream, but I just didn't see it. I just couldn't get my head around the million dollars. So we thought, you know what? Going tiny would be a really cool thing. So we got ourselves to the first tiny house show that was around Arlington, Texas, 2017, and found ourselves our dream builder, or so we thought. Halfway through the build with our custom tiny home, they went out of business and we got this call saying, Hey, come pick up your unfinished tiny home. And we did not expect a surprise DIY, but that's how that went down.
1: Well, let's back up just a little bit on that, because I feel like this is something that a lot of people, this is one of the first steps. And one of the first scary steps is kind of trying to identify what, like you said, their dream builder. So what was it? you know, that led you down to believe that this was the person that was going to fulfill your dreams. And then, and then how was it that it kind of all dissolved?
2: I have a big part in this story. Like I've flipped homes before this, um, but I'm sort of shocked at my major enthusiasm for tiny homes so much that I feel like I left my due diligence brain behind. I didn't do any like checking reviews. I didn't really... Ask for any like of their existing customers and if you know what they thought about them, none of that. I just saw myself a cute tiny home. I heard the right kind of answers and went like just forward into it. And what was the funniest part is that our buddy Nick from California Tiny House, even in my own state, because I chose a builder out of two states away in Utah. So I look at my tale as like, oh wow. If I had just put a pause (laughs) on my whole story and said, let's just stop for a moment and really think about, you know, who is this person? What are their business practices? How long have they been in business? What are some reviews online? All that kind of stuff. Maybe I would have found my way into, you know, pausing and just thinking of, well, are there any other builders that I might want to run my analysis on? But, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? <laughs>
0: Lindsay, it's so interesting though, because it just goes to show, like you said, you had some building experience having flipped houses. This wasn't like you were coming in totally wide eyed and had no idea. And yet it it happened to you. It can happen to all of us. You get excited. It reminds me of like scammers, like, you know, you get a scammer, but every once in a while, they'll hit a, a, something in you that makes you not think it through. And for you, it was the, the excitement of having finally decided, I'm going to do this. You're caught up in the moment at the Arlington show. One of the few ones I've actually been to, Zach, I remember to with you, but like, and you've got all that going and you're like, yeah. And you just do it and you're hearing what you want to hear. Yep. And it's really, it's, it's such a good lesson to like, hold on, to like sleep on it. Think about it. Take a moment. Like, it's not rude to do due diligence. It's intelligent. It's smart to do
2: that. And this is what I tell people: I'm like, it's your money. I sort of have this joke now. If I ever put you know money into another builder, I'd like sleep next door, right? Ha ha, joke, joke. But I really, from that experience, you know, no surprise. After the eight month of, I call it the blood, sweat, tears, and joy journey of our tiny home journey. Um, at one point, I sanded my arm. You know, generated. <laughs> nicks and blood like anyone does when they're building and constructing. Got my dad, my mom, my brother, who's a welder. Our friend was a local off-grid solar contractor. Found the plumber. So I'm really grateful to have found all those people. Not everyone has all those resources if something was to go wrong. I'm also really grateful that I didn't put all my money in the basket up front Mm -hmm. because I had a little bit, about 25%, about $30,000 that we still retain. So we could finish the project, but what it didn't mean we could hire another contractor Though we had to do it ourselves.
1: Well, I remember, well, I guess I'm going to say that your tale about kind of having this kind of balloon burst when you were going down your, your journey and having the, the contractor kind of fail on you is a cautionary tale to me, because I actually had been kind of an ad- admirer myself of their business. And, you know, I don't think that they had been in business all that often or that long, but they seem like really good people. And I think that this is a, a, the lesson that I take from it is that even good people can be bad at business and even good business people can sometimes not come through and so i think that that's another piece to this kind of lesson there is that like you know it's it just cuz somebody's nice just because they're they're good craftsmen doesn't mean that the relationship's going to work or that their business is on a successful track and i think one of the unfortunate things about tiny homes is that the the industry side of it is kind of adolescent i'll call it that right and so there's some difficulties there that don't exist with the um typical construction so that was an interesting take on it for me
0: i would say that the typical construction they still exist there maybe just not as prevalent but the question then Lindsay, is i mean that's a scary prospect to hear what zach just said and what you just said so what was the i mean we can continue with your story you guys basically bootstrapped it did it yourselves got it done but what did that lesson teach you then that you teach to other people now.
2: Yeah. So eight months of the DIY build finished us March, 2019. We set off on the road. That was our big journey to go off on the road. We had just sold a, one of our last flips that I'd done big, you know, regular house flip in Oakland, big $1.5 million project. We're going to hit the road, do this thing. That was great. And little did I know that there were even tiny home, other tiny home events that year. So we started March, 2019. By the time we ended 12 shows that year, I was so excited. I think I wrapped up in Fresno uh, seeing you there, Zach. Mm -hmm. And so in that moment where I'm at Colorado Tiny House Festival, I was talking with the lead organizer, Art, and just shared with him, hey, if you ever need anyone to talk about our experience of going tiny, happy to do so. That put me on my first stage, one of many to come. And that's, of course, then you're sitting there thinking, well, what am I going to talk about? No question how to hire the right builder, right? <laughs> what things to look for. Ironically, day two of our travels, when we had finished our DIY project, we had to change out our axles and our tires. My buddy Nick from California Tiny Homes came back into this story. We were in a near Fresno. We weighed our tiny home and we found out our tiny home was too heavy for the axles that were currently on it. Thank you to Trailer Made Tiny Homes for someone to even be able to call. Because at that point, no warranty no builder right things that you're used to having when you buy something so we stopped our trip right there found another person to unweld our whole axle system and put on new tires and new axles to the tune of fifty four hundred dollars so i always say we paid one and a half times for our trailer that was probably the biggest lesson that i always share with people like just make sure that whatever tiny home is getting built for you that the builders actually weighed it appropriately and has the right axle system for the weight of the tiny home.
1: Yeah. And also I tell people to try to not be maxed out because even if you are within your limit and you're going to be taking it down the road and you, you know, going to take it very far, you don't really want to be right at the limit because you're going to end up bending your axles
2: yes and we saw the ones that had just been taken off and only traveled from utah to california a very you know two-day drive they were reversed (laughs) they were already bending Mm -hmm. the other way so we didn't want to drive on those we paid the we paid the money didn't expect to do that but we went on our merry way and then found ourselves to different festivals and sharing the story about you know things these top 10 ideas to think about axles being one of them how to communicate with your builder looking for reviews of any other customers that they've worked with, even if they show videos, maybe they don't want to give their full customer database. I don't want to throw builders under the bus here and think that everyone needs to call their customers, but something that can show that some customer somewhere was happy with the work. So
0: Lindsay, is there hope here? Because so far what I've heard is, oh, the trailer's not good. The contractors aren't good. You know, it's just a a money pit and a drain. I mean, what's the upside of this or is there?
2: There's a lot of upside, you know, equipped with this kind of knowledge. Now do what I did not do and do your due diligence. You know, the person that you really love of their website and their builds and their design, ask them some questions. You know, I put together a list of 40 questions, not to ask like, if you're looking at like seven builders and you're trying to whittle it down, you might want to look at these key things: like what's your timing? Can you build what I want done within this budget? And uh, you know, who have you actually worked with before? You can do a lot of that online: Google reviews, looking on their website. You know, this should be a good tale for all the builders listening to this one. That you know, if you've thought, oh, we really have some great customers, get them to talk about how great it was and what was so great about finding you. Like that is something that people are really going to benefit from that are wanting to buy from you.
1: I always say to people that are asking me for advice about contractors just in general is that, you know, to be aware that if a contractor pulls up in a brand new shiny truck, that's huge. You got to be aware that that comes with a payment. And that means that they make money or if they don't make money, then they're in a They're potentially going to be in a pinch. And so just to to be aware that like with a business, you know, if you see a business, I think this might've been a factor with the company that you had, you had worked with. It seemed like that they were scaling so fast, so big, right. And their facility was really big. And it's like, you're going to have to be able to pay for all of that overhead somehow. And they're planning on paying for it by making money off of their clients. And so if you're one of their clients, you got to be expecting that they're going to be charging you quite a bit.
2: I really learned a lot from the quote that we got based on this home that we wanted. We wanted the gooseneck, uh, and this is 2017. So even though prices have changed a lot, the gooseneck, drop-down patio, rooftop deck, I mean, the bells, the whistles, the, and on top, and then a rock climbing wall. Like everything, full-tail boogie, $90,000. Even back then, that should have been more in the hundred and twenty dollars to $150,000 budget because I've done a lot of research on like pricing out tiny homes. So I see where, you know, they wanted to do something good for us, but they should have just like, yeah, I love what you want, but it's going to cost, this is your base package. And then all these extra bells and whistles are upgrades. You choose what you want to do. I think I, I want to caution so many people that want the really cheap tiny home, it's all about you pay for what you get, right? The cheap tiny home is what some builders are building. When I say cheap, not necessarily cheap materials, it'll still be good quality, but it won't maybe have the high-end finishes and appliances.
0: Well, that speaks to actually something a little bit different. And that's this idea that oftentimes when you say tiny house, people have one thing in mind. And I think what I've learned from researching you, Lindsay, and certainly from the conversations that Zach and I have, and just what we did on the show, to us, a tiny house is more of like a concept. Really, we talk about it like as an efficient house, and then it can be anything in there. It's like, everyone's like, well, I can't have a tiny house because I don't want to sleep in a loft. Like, okay, you don't have to. Tiny house doesn't mean, oh, it's that. It can be so many different things. And yeah, you're right. A lot of news coverage is... And rightfully so, I think it's a neat idea, is how to use tiny houses to help with homelessness, right? That's a different kind of structure than say what you're talking about with a rock climbing wall and a drop-down patio and a gooseneck, something much more high end. And a tiny house, what I say to people is it's all of those things. So you you do have to define what we are talking about within these, you know, quote unquote tiny house conversation.
2: Yeah, I had a steam room shower in mine. My big thing was if I'm going to reduce the size, I'm going to increase the luxury. That luxury you have to pay for, you know, there's radiant floor heating in my next tiny home that I'm going to be doing because I love that you can warm your body from your toes to your nose and how, you know, heat transfers around a tiny home. You know, the one I'm in right now is the gooseneck. And when the heater's on, this room's warm. But when it's cold out, my husband sitting right below the mini split, which is up high is cold. So how heat moves around a space, I think radium for heating would be great. That is not going to be found in the homes, or at least I would call them shelters. These are rooms that may have a room, a locking door, electrical system, lighting, but then you're going to have, you know, collaborative services of like the kitchen and maybe bathhouse. For more of the homeless village or people that are transitioning out of homelessness into the next level. So I'm so glad you brought this up because, you know, when we hear homeless village and tiny homes, one of the funniest stories of us traveling around with our $100,000 tiny home is I sat at a Starbucks and these guys are sitting next to me and they looked out like, oh, look at that. There's one of those homeless houses. And I just sort of laughed and then I got to know them, told them I have double master's degrees and then I'm choosing this lifestyle, right? I'm choosing to right-size my American dream.
0: And then they asked how much whiskey was in your coffee.
1: (laughs) I would say that there's also, you know, in the whole idea of a spectrum, right? There is the, the very, very basic shelters. And then there is Lindsay's Tiny Homes. There's certainly tiny homes that are kind of in the middle of that where it's like it does have all the amenities, but they're not trying to they're trying to keep the costs under control as much as possible, but get kind of the basic amenities that you want. And, and, you know, and so, yeah, there is this big spectrum, you know, for the people that are just listening to this. I will say that Lindsay's Tiny Home, when I've been to festivals where she's had her home on display, it's got a line like wrapped around and like over to the next block. And uh, I'm sure you've won awards for your tiny home at these festivals. It's just a really not beautiful. <laughs> okay. Well, it's, it's one of the more, yeah, like she says, high-end impressive homes that you'll see when you go to these places. And, you know, I think that the fact that you were kind of forced, whether you liked it or not, to kind of take on the mantle of construction and finish it off I feel like there's got to be something to the fact that you've had so much kind of hands on experience in the construction that led you to be so successful in terms of living in it for as long as you have and the joy that you take and the pride that you have in your home. So, can, can you speak to that? Like, I guarantee that's not something that you expected that you would happen, but is it something that in hindsight you're kind of happy that you had that experience?
2: Yes. You know, this was uh, something that. I'm glad it happened at the time it happened. Think about it. We already put money in. The frame was built, the trailer, and all those, even though it had some axle drama, that we still were able to have retained some of our funding. I've heard worse stories where deposits are just taken, right? Then you're just like, there's nothing to show for it. So at least for us, we had a structure we could, you know, start working on it, get get the whole family involved, which is great, because now, you know, our big heavy inverter system is sitting on the welded structure that my brother did. Right. So there's a little more of like home to it. Uh the the unit sitting right behind me, which is kind of wrapped up over our bathroom inside our gooseneck, used to be a crawl in closet. Now it's a bedroom. So I feel like it's kind of a place where we can just remodel as needed. And this is where I want to caution anyone that's getting into tiny homes that has never lived in it. We got into it. It was pretty bare bones. Like we finished what we need to finish, but we've kind of since remodeled pretty much every part of it, except for the kitchen, right? The actual cabinetry, because when you actually live in it versus visualizing living in it and you've never lived in it, we made some adjustments. The Murphy bed up in this room didn't fit our lifestyle. And in fact, I needed more of an office space. So we remodeled that. Uh, We did some changes up into the loft area And I want to do even further changes where instead of a ladder going up and down where I have to carry my dog, I'd like to change that more into stairs. But then that will change what I call the Zach hack of the table that flips up into a big six person table down to a two person table down to like just fully removed. And now we have our space. So these are all just, you know, I feel like I would like to tell anyone you can do anything. It's always a compromise, either space, budget you know, or something else going on in that tiny home space. And you guys on the show deal with that all the time, John. I love the part, even though you have the non-fun job. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Zach. Of guiding people to like really getting clear on what's so important to them, either in physical or the things that they love to do in their life.
0: Yeah, well, like it's pretty much what you just said. You can do anything, you can't do everything. And so really, yeah, deciding what that is. And I think- I also like what you said about the home living and breathing and changing with you as you, A, lived in it, and then, B, as you just progress in life. And that's one of the things that Zach has always stated is this idea that, hey, this thing can transition with you as you transition. Don't be afraid of it.
1: Yeah. I I love how we've been talking pretty much this whole time about what I've been calling as the fun part, which is like constructing the home and – you know, and, you know, doing, doing the, the inspirational part of figuring out how your life is going to work and what the design is going to be, and then actually doing the construction. And it's been like, it's coming off, like it's a big challenge. And we haven't even gotten into the aspects that I call the not fun part. And I'd like to kind of go there a little bit because, you know, I think that one of the unique things about Lindsay that I've noticed over the years is that you've kind of really identified, okay, like what are the gaps? that are out there in people's journey and, and you've kind of inserted yourself as a resource and kind of made it your, your goal to kind of fill those gaps. And one of those gaps that's really obvious, because John and I get asked all the time about this is like, Hey, where can I live in a tiny house? Right. And Going about answering that, as you know, it's like that is a long conversation because you first you have to talk about where it is that they want to live. You know, what kind of tiny home are they talking about? Is it on wheels? Is it on foundation? There's like so many different questions. Really, a lot of times I tell people is like, oh, you should go talk to Lindsay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We need to get you on my affiliate plan. So, you know, there we were. We did. We started in March. No shows, no events. Tiny home related by the end of that year. 12 events where pretty much every one of those events I was talking about, you know, the 10 tips for hiring your builder that transformed into doing consulting calls one-on-one that transformed into doing even like I had a moment there. I was starting to work with other designers to help people design their home. Then they would get it quoted out. Then it just turned into the Go Tiny Academy. That's really when things started to click more. I was like, let's put this online. Let's make it a course. Now let's create plans. at some point in there i had a really great coach that said create your frameworks and the framework that i came up with was the three pillars of going tiny the land the finance and the build because those three once you check off all those boxes you're good to go right if you don't know where it's going to go you might still be someone that says you know what i'm still willing to get it and i'll figure it out later not too many people are going to say yes to that especially if they're really land focused, like I either own land they already own, or I'm looking to buy land to place a tiny home on it. That is probably the biggest, most common thing that I hear. Well, then we have those little pesky wheels that, you know, Zach, you and I are part of the tiny home industry association, very much active in the world of legalizing tiny homes and movable tiny homes as we know them around the country. And there's been a lot of success, but for as much as there's been like what, 16 counties and cities There's 19,000 building departments around the country. That's a lot of places. And you've met with your own challenges up there in Washington. and, And here in California, we had a little easier because we already had this accessory dwelling unit in the backyard that could just then get amended and add the wheels. And we've had Dan Fitzpatrick leading the way. So I really look to my mentors, but now we've got resources like Dan Fitzpatrick with Thea, as well as contractor Dave, who's doing a lot of the permit work. He's doing the super not fun job, you guys. Like (laughs) Hands down, he's doing calling up uh, the city or the county on behalf of the person's address and property APN number. Like There's no part that I want in that. I just hand them over to Dave. (laughs)
1: Well,
0: I like it. So Zach hands people to you. You hand them to Dave. Perfect and no one hands anything to me. I'll just keep doing my thing. I love it. This is good. Keep going.
2: You are perfect for the people that want to really grab a hold of that lifestyle and they really need to figure out how to take their 3000 square foot home down into something that will be more manageable and realistic.
1: Well, one of the gaps that I've definitely seen and kind of identified that I love that you kind of work together is is almost like this idea of having of being like a tiny house matchmaker. Right. Because what you've done is you've recognizing, okay, well, there are these places where it's legal to put a tiny home in your backyard right so how do you go about connecting people that own property that would like to rent out their backyard with people that own tiny homes that would like to you know have a place to to put it that they like like you know i i definitely love it that you've kind of inserted yourself in that space and started trying to reach out not just to tiny home owners or people that are trying to do tiny homes but also identifying people on the ground with properties can you tell me a little bit about that hosts
2: yeah. Yeah. So you've actually touched on the one thing that I feel like is still missing. But by by me working with people inside the academy at different package levels, they either get the information, I'm just like, what are the four types of tiny homes? Right. There's the NFPA, the ANSI, the IRC, and the HUD, all those wonderful acronyms. Um, when they're at shows, I teach them in the VIP tours. There I'm there on site at the event, taking them through the the tiny homes, pointing out certifications and standards and things they need to think about then they work from there to, okay, I've already owned land. Let me see if that land's going to work. That's usually when either the wheels or needing it permanent will come into play. So we're really kind of like taking them from this, I want a tiny home down into wheels, no wheels. Some people want to choose the no wheels just because they want to appreciate the property value. However, we've also seen where someone like contractor Dave is able to get something approved at a county that they never even approved an ordinance for wheels, all because of the permanent foundation system that he talks to them about. So it's all about talking their language at that jurisdiction level. And the language of recreational vehicles is that you're not allowed to live in them full time. And yet we're doing this thing where, you know, it's an RV from the trailer down and a tiny home from the trailer up, this sort of hybridization. And I would call it the big disruptor of housing as we know it from my perspective, you know, like Airbnb was to hotels or Uber was to taxi cabs. We're doing tiny homes to residential housing. And now we're able to create that flex housing that we really need because we are in crisis mode across the country.
0: I like that you said flex housing. And I, I kind of want to not play devil's advocate here, but I think there is a tendency in the tiny house world to demonize either building codes or zoning laws. And I think what we all understand, those rules are in place for a reason, namely safety. Now, there's lots and lots of rules, and a lot of those are outdated or at least haven't been written with the idea of this flex housing option that you're talking about. And so it's not that I don't think anyone's advocating, oh, there shouldn't be standards, Uh, there shouldn't be zoning to determine how neighborhoods and cities grow up, but that those need to be updated to look at what's really going on. And as you say, one of the things that's going on is an absolute affordable housing crisis. And that's why I do think we are in a moment when this really can have some traction, because the powers that be are looking for solutions, because they have been tasked, especially in California, to come up with more affordable housing. And that's a tough question to answer. And if someone can say, hey, look, I've actually already got it. It's right here. Now let's work together to make it legal. That seems like a very good path forward. And I think that's where we are and what we're talking about right now. Fair to say, Lindsay?
2: Yes. And because I've been so, yeah, I'm based in California, raised in California, I got this great opportunity to come to Arizona and help launch a tiny home village out here, working with United Tiny Homes. And what we learned very quickly within being here for a month We found out this eight-month task force with Prescott Valley, uh, north of Phoenix, was just wrapping up. They were totally focusing on their affordable housing, and they had a group of citizens that were doing this task force, and guess what their results were? Lack of housing. But to the tune of about 330 jobs between the Unified School District and also the hospital that was local, they couldn't fulfill those jobs because there was lack of housing. And so now, even though a state does not have the ADU law like we do in California statewide or even up in Washington where you are, Zach, it's kind of interesting to see where like, well, gosh, before California had their ADU law, that's kind of like what Arizona is and many states around the country are. So here's a good pathway. These ordinances have already been written. If Prescott Valley is looking at entertaining bringing in tiny homes on wheels or even on foundation, they need to write some new ordinances into their code and they're ready for it. Their cities are like, please help guide us into this path and and we can glean off something that maybe what California has already done and we've already worked out endlessly now since like 2017, when I think was the first one passed in Fresno.
1: What, what I hear you talking about is, I mean, it sounds like common sense, but it's so contrary to a lot of the strategies that a lot of housing advocates kind of take when it comes to kind of breaking and talking about zoning. And that's working with the powers that be to kind of address the needs that they've already identified. And I think it also talks to the way that John, you know, just talked about zoning codes and building codes, which was much more polite than I would actually have done it myself, you know, because I've been, I'm just like been in the trenches and it's, you know, I'm all fired up about, you know the need for change and and the need for immediate change, not just from kind of a housing affordability perspective, but from a humanitarian perspective when you're looking at homelessness and the the sadness that you know we have in our country surrounding that topic and how it's just getting worse, and not to mention climate change so there's all all this like you know justification. To be outraged about the way that the laws are inhibiting our ability to use this this housing type to solve our problems. But the truth of the matter, and I think this is what goes to J- what John was saying, is it doesn't actually serve you much benefit to come at people really combatively because that tends to make people dig in their heels and uh, and kind of entrench their own resistance to anything that you have to say. And so what I like about what you both said is like, yeah, it's about strategy. It's about recognizing, okay, there are goals that are shared and finding those commonalities and and highlighting the parallel objectives and and how you have a package solution all ready to go. So what is that path forward then, Lindsay, from your from your perspective?
2: Yeah. And I'm gonna I'm gonna zero in on so we've got this Prescott Valley, um, the state of Arizona doesn't already have the EDU. They already did an awesome task force kind of work. So any any city out there, any county could do this kind of task force, get their local people involved and, and make this happen to get the information back. Right now that they have the information, they can go forward. Then the other part that Dan Fitzpatrick was so brilliant about, find someone that actually has land that may need something. And then he'll take a look at their building code and figure out a way to reshape it and put it back to them and say, now these people can get what they want to have done. For example, wonderful couple, they're aging. We've got, you know, aging parents, right? The boomers are aging and we've got people like myself in our fifties that are needing to take care of parents. That's exactly what's happening with this family that they have what, like two acres, plenty enough space to put their daughter in the backyard. She wants to have her own independence. She's in her 40s. And then the parents want to have their own independence, but they want to be close by each other. I feel like this multi-generational housing can fill so much of that flex housing need and tap into like real true American support, like the American dream of like, let's just create our families back together again. But we don't all We want to hear, share each other's like, you know, sounds and and. Sleep times and all those kinds of smells, yeah, sounds, sounds and
0: smells and all of it. Yeah.
2: Right? So multi-generational housing, flex housing, you know, it is the thing that I find number one, the amount of people like I've got family land, my parents want to be moved on the property, I've got my kids to live in, in my house. I'd like them to boomerang out into the backyard. That kind of thing is really where we have the biggest opportunity. Why wouldn't we take their property, bring it to the local zoning person and say, look, current zoning opportunities are not allowed for them to actually put something on wheels here, which is a bummer because she actually wants to own her home and then eventually buy her own land and put it somewhere else. Um, or maybe she'll inherit that property and someone else, one of their cousins or brothers or sisters could live there. So I feel like there's such opportunity with all these backyards, they're nearby Roads that have already been, you know, with public services, with police, with fire. Uh, we don't need to sprawl into new areas. We can actually infill, and now we solve the climate and housing crisis with one fell swoop.
1: I love that. You know, I think that what you're talking about is, yeah, looking at the the needs of an area and and trying to talk the language of the people and and try to, you know, offer some solutions where a lot of people just feel helpless. And so it's awesome. But I have one last question for you, Lindsay, and that's because I heard you talk about, okay, this is what I'm going to do on my tiny house, but on my next tiny house, I have these ideas. So, okay, now as the tiny home lady and, you know, as a real professional in this, what's the advice that you're going to give yourself when you go down, when you start that journey to go down building another tiny house, how are you going to address that?
2: My biggest challenge is that I have so many cool builders that I know now. I'm like, who would actually do it? So there'd be that one. But if if I was to just go at it from a, you know, fresh eyes, I would definitely check my reviews. I would check about budgets. I would make sure I'm going to pay no more than three different payments. You know, the front payment, mid payment, and end payment. Really take a look at the design that we're putting together. One of the things that I teach in the academy, I grab a Google sheet, I put in you know, products or different sections of the home, the kitchen, the living room, the bathroom. I put in the type of finishes that I'd like to see there. And then this document, sort of a living back and forth document between me and the builder. Uh, that's something I created actually for the builder that I worked with. So that's what I was able to actually continue on with our own project because I'd already done all of my um, really identifying of the home. You know, one thing I learned from Nick was like, grab a bunch of pictures out there online, even not even tiny homes and look at the things that you like about a home and the design or the, the, you know, you can take a big kitchen and shrink it down. It's really the finishes that you're looking at, right? Is it a white counter or is it a dark counter? Is it cool cabinets with cool visuals? It just might, instead of being, you know, 20 feet long, it's going to be eight and a half feet long. For us, if we really were to place it, I would do a 10 wide downstairs bedroom, two bedrooms, his and hers, both of us with our Murphy bed, you know, one would be entertainment room and one would be bedroom that would also convert into an office. So there's a number of things that I already know I would do, but definitely starting with, you know, really making sure the builder is the right one for me by doing my due diligence.
0: Well Lindsay I'm glad you said you have lots of good builders to choose from now because I feel like we did a lot of builder bashing and I think you know I think the reality is that there are a lot of good ones out there I want to point that out and be clear about that tell us you keep talking about the academy the go tiny academy how can people that are interested that want more information get a hold of you enroll in the academy
2: they can go to the tinyhomelady.com and that is where they'll find out about the go tiny academy and in there there's three different plans there's the the base course plan is for someone just starting out I feel like I, I find a lot of people that get really excited they watch tiny house nation they go on YouTube they check out the design and you're right there's some other parts that aren't as much fun to share on TV, right? About the land and the financing. So inside that course, there's the basics. There's the financing, the land and figuring out the right builder. All those questions that I mentioned that you can utilize, those 40 questions are in there as a worksheet checklist. And then there's the people that are, I already own the land or I'm looking for land and I need some more help to figure out if it's the right one for me based on what my goals are. So those people get a little bit of a different package. And then the next one is really the ones that are, are my like super dear dear friends and peeps because they're creating the next tiny home villages and communities out there. That's called the Go Tiny Academy Develop Plan. And at each one of these points, if anyone buys a home through me, not from me, because I'm not a builder, but if they buy through me because they've gone through some exercises with me, they've gone through some analysis that I'll work on with them, making sure they're taking a look at pros and cons. And by doing that, they'll get their 497 back to them off of deducted off their build, because I want to make sure that no one ends up to where we've ended up. There's not, you can't control everything out there, right? People, businesses and all that. But inside the Academy, I'm going to give them as much, you know, information on my end to really guide them through and having a successful journey.
0: That's Lindsay Wood, the tiny home lady. Lindsay, thank you so much for your time today, for your information. And yeah, I urge anyone that's interested in the tiny house, check it out. Do your due diligence.
1: Yeah. Thanks. Good to speak with you, Lindsay. And thanks for filling the gaps.
2: Thank you.
0: I think you said it perfectly, filling in the gaps. That's what Lindsey Wood does because we all talk about the house because that, you know, yeah, v- envisioning your tiny house, thinking about the lifestyle, that is the fun part. And I think it's important to push that fun part forward, but it's also important to be realistic and be like, hey, also, <laughs> you got to consider these things.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's it's not a knock on tiny houses or tiny house industry. It's just we are kind of an adolescent industry. So there are gaps. So there is opportunity for somebody to come in with experience and really help people.
0: Yeah. And guess what? If you buy any house, you don't just go, oh, okay, like you research if you're having someone build your house. Yeah, you have it researched. If you're trying to get it financed, yeah, you do your due (laughs) diligence. It's no different than the tiny house. So it makes a lot of sense. I love that she has the answers. I love that she's so willing to put them out there. And yes, it's a business for her, but it's not like she's charging exorbitant fees. This really is like, a okay, I have to charge a little bit, but my lifestyle is pared down. So I don't have to charge a lot and I can help people. And I love that. That's really kind of what this community seems to be about.
1: Yeah no she has she's been helping people for quite some time now and hopefully she she keeps doing it because there's a lot of people out there with a lot of questions so
0: all right zach i'll see you in a couple weeks buddy i'm going surfing next
1: week Mexico. yeah get it out right <laughs> is that what the seals do <laughs> that's
0: what they do oh yeah i'm wearing my ert
1: shirt urt, urt. <laughs> all right you know when the wave is here don't be here don't be there yeah don't be there all right dude have fun <laughs> see you buddy Thank you.